Anyway, well, bless you. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. God is so good, isn't he? Oh, me. We're so, we are so blessed. Such a blessed church. Change. Anybody going through change this week? Change is all over us, not just in the church. It's all over us. It's in our homes. It's in our jobs. It's in our hair. Losing it left and right. Help me, Lord. I'm not speaking that over myself, but it's a fact. I'm not saying I'm going to keep losing it. I'm saying I am losing it. Thank you, Lord. Let me stop losing it. I want to... change everything's changing isn't it you know i've been making jokes the last few weeks about why you come to church but i believe we come i think down deep we want to be different we want to be different we have a desire there's something in us that wants to be better than we are god put that in you god is desiring to change you into what he wants you to be so it's natural that there's something in you thinking man i could be better i could do better you know, every New Year's, there's New Year's resolutions on people trying to be better. And a New Year's resolution, you're lucky if it makes it two weeks. But here we are at church, and I believe down deep, down deep the reason you're here is because you want something better. There's, a, there's promises in here that show better. And we want it better, but it's just hard to grab hold of it. It's just hard to walk it out. And that's what we've been talking about are these changes, this need to change. We all have that in common, our need to change. And we've been talking about the, the name of God that relates to this, Jehovah Mekadesh. And I would hope that by now it's ingrained in your brain because I'm going over it every single week. What does it mean? It means I am the God who sanctifies you. Sanctifies means to be set apart. To be set apart. For God to move you from where you are to where you need to be. Where he wants you to be. What does that mean? It means God wants to change you. I am the God who changes you. And he has a right to change you. He is the creator of the universe. He created you. You know, I, I think it's a deep statement that you could come to. If you could just come to the fact that God is the creator and he is in charge of it all. And he has a right to change me. That doesn't sound that deep, but most of us don't live there. We live in the area of don't change me, God. Don't anybody change me. You even speak about changing me and I'm going to play the victim. Don't change me. We, you know, there's something that fights change. But God has a right to change you. He created you. And that's what we've been looking at, Jehovah Mekadesh, the Lord who wants to change you, sanctifies you. We've been looking at five things to kind of go along with this process of change, what will help us change. And we've looked at it from the last few weeks about how there's your part and there's God's part. God has his part to play, which he's played perfectly, continues to. But will we come along with him in his kingdom? Will we come under that authority? Will we submit ourselves to him? We have that right. He created us with a free will to make a choice i can choose to do right or i can choose to do wrong and these five things i hope will help you to realize that we can come under this authority 
I've been talking on Sunday night, uh, Wednesday nights about knowing God, how much easier it is to submit or to surrender to God the more we know God. The more I know who He is and what His heart is toward me, the easier it is to come under that. But these five things, we started looking a few weeks ago. Number one was uh, recognize that your life is a spiritual journey. I talked about Brandon Gross and about him going from uh, the dock to a, a little cove and would race so hard to get there to that, that, that calm little cove that he loved. But the Lord showed him, slow down. Enjoy the process of getting there. There's something about getting there. There's, look around. There are things to see. And I experienced this this week. Uh, yesterday, me and my family went to Burgess Falls. And I don't know if I'm just getting old or if they actually made a change to it. I feel like the, the trails are changed. They're much better. The first, it used to, it would take you a while to where you could ever even get to the water. Now it seems like it walks along the water the whole way. And we, we were on a quest. Me and my entire family, all the way down to my five-year-old, had never made it to the very bottom. And I said, we're going to the bottom. And it was a struggle. Not with my kids. It was a struggle. But before I get, before I get to her issues, uh, as we were walking, how important it was that we stop for a minute and look around. Because when you're walking on a trail like that, and it's pretty intense, it's not, it's not advanced by any means, but for a five-year-old it is, and how their focus stayed right here. And it needed to be. They've got these new rails up there, and... But I'm yelling at Ruth Ann, do not put your hand on the rail or you'll get a splinter. I don't care if it's plastic. She will get a splinter. She always gets them somehow. But every now and then I'd say, kids, look up and look at that. Look, listen, do you hear that? Okay, now, now back down here. And we're walking and we go across a little trail that we have to step across. And somehow Elizabeth sticks her hand in something wet. She was stepping over rocks and putting her hands on rocks, and it was some, somebody had spit on the ground, and she put her hand in that spit. And if you know Elizabeth, she's, a, she's as close to a germaphobe as I know, except for Jeremy Holt, but she's not, she's not quite on that level, but she's close. And she's probably a good 50 feet behind me, and I'm hearing her, I just don't think this is a very good idea. I just don't like this. And I'm hearing Ruth Ann go, Mama, it's okay. Come on. <laughs> Ruth Ann's my eight-year-old. And she's, she's having to hold her mom's hand, but I don't think she was holding her hand to help her. I think Ruth Ann was there to hold, help Elizabeth. And I could hear it. Mama, come on. It's okay. Come on. But we finally got to the bottom. And, you know, what a process it was to start and to finish. And then when we had to walk back, I warned everybody. Now, normally, kids, y'all all fuss all the way back because it's uphill the whole time. Prepare yourself. I don't want to hear the fussing. We're all going to be tired. Get ready. You know, I think the Lord is saying, you've you got testing to go through. All the fussing happens. Go ahead. It says to make known your, your request to me. But no, you've got to struggle, and you need to get to the end. That's the second one. You need to set your sights on the final destination. You have an ending point, and that ending point is Jesus Christ. Eventually, we are going to go to heaven, but right now, we are trying to become more Christ-like. 
The great thing is, is no matter how much you try, you never fully reach that because we are not perfect. But we are to strive to this final destination. And you know, I told them, I said, kids, toughen up. If you need to stop, we'll stop at every break. Look around, walk around. We'll stop. But realize your legs are going to get tired. We're going to be tired. But we're going to get there. And you know what? They didn't, I, it was a miracle. They didn't fuss one time. And we made it all the way to the top without incident. Kind of. Kind of. Uh, let me see what my... We, we got, if you've ever been there, you have to go down a set of stairs. We got to the top of the stairs and we just decided we'd walk around kind of the flat rocks and look at some of the smaller little falls. And there was one little area that was wet that we could still walk through. And, you know, I, I had a hold of my five-year-old, even though she was saying, Daddy, I can handle it. I know better. I'm not letting you go. I'm not going to let you fall. But one of my other older kids said, I got it, Dad. I got it. Let go of me. I got it. Okay. You can't handle it. It's no problem. But one step, feet straight up, hit the ground. And, you know, no matter what age you are, sometimes you need some help. That's what change is all about. Sometimes when God is trying to change you, you need to let him help you. We want to say, okay, God, you can change me, but I'm going to do it all. That doesn't work. And I had to pick up my my child and say, it's okay. You're not in trouble. I'm not going to say, I told you so. I knew you were going to do that because you were able to handle that. But you get your focus off of what you're doing. And next thing you know, you're flat on the ground, soaking wet and crying. And that's where we wind up. We wind up in that kind of situation. But we set our sights on the final destination. That final destination is to be made holy. What God wants is for us to be made holy. That's what we're striving toward. And I said this morning, I don't think that anything in me is holy. In the flesh. But it's when the Lord fills me. It's when the Holy Ghost fills me. And it's when I start operating under His control and power. Am I able to be made holy? Not by me totally by him it says in leviticus 20 set yourselves apart to be holy for i'm the lord your god who makes you holy god does the work you can't do that part god is the one that makes you holy be set apart that's what holiness is it's not set above everyone else it's set above the world it's set above the world's standard the world's way and that final destination is Jesus. And people flip out when they hear this holiness word. You know, if that's my final destination, that makes me uncomfortable or intimidated. What if I mess up? What if you're going to mess up? That's part of the process. My child learned more by falling on those rocks than had they made it across safely. They realize no matter what age I am, every now and then I need to hold a hand. You know, sometimes coming up some of those big rocks, I needed Pete to grab me and pull me up. And he's an 11-year-old. I needed help, though. I'm not so big that I can't say I don't need help, but you know what? When it comes to things that I think I can handle, a lot of times I say, no, I can do it. And the Lord's saying, okay, I would love to help you, but I'm waiting for you to ask me. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. 
He comes when we ask him to come. And he leaves when we reject him. God is so good to us that he lets us sometimes go. Just like my child. Okay, I'm going to let you go. You're not going to crack your head open. But sometimes you just need to fall down. We'll pick you back up. We'll love on you. We'll check your boo-boos and make sure everything's okay. But did you learn from that? Yeah, I did. Good. When it's something bigger than that, maybe you won't fall off the cliff. Are you with me, church? We are typically outer world people, concerned with how we look, the way we live, what we look like. But God's internal. And God wants to invest in the internal. He wants to improve the part of you that is going to last forever. He cares about the rest of you, but what he's most concerned about is who you really are. He wants to change you from the inside. He wants to change you from the inside. Our bodies are decaying, but God is an inside God. And as we talk about change, I'm not necessarily talking about doing, but I'm talking about being. Who really are you? Inside of you is the spirit of God, a new nature. God in this process of working in you, God is in the process of working in you until he transforms your character. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, And as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him and reflect his glory even more. This word works. It's not worked ed it's not you got saved and it's over but he works in us he continually works in us so that we would become more like him if you don't feel like you are exactly like the lord you got some improving to do you're a candidate for change if you feel like you are exactly like the lord we got to pray for you for other reasons But I can tell you, I've not arrived, and the Lord's still got a lot of work to do in me. There's a common misunderstanding with people in the church. It's this. They want to be more religious. That's not it. You want to become more like Jesus. That's it. Don't confuse religion and biblical knowledge with the transformation of your heart. It's an easy thing to do. It's an easy thing to confuse the two. But let me tell you, biblical knowledge... Doctrine, theological understanding are important. They are essential. They are essential for you and me that we're not blown back and forth when the storms come. I I am a uh, big teacher of being in the Word and becoming knowledgeable of who God is. Don't Don't take me the wrong way this morning. Biblical knowledge is important. But that knowledge has to go hand in hand with a submissive, a submitted life to the author of this book. You can know it front to end. You can memorize it. You can spout it out at any time. But if you don't get yourself hooked up with who God is and change your life to it, all you've got is knowledge. And that's a scary thing. Knowledge alone will get you in trouble. Did you know Satan knows the Word of God? He knows the Word. He knows how to use it too. He knows how to use it 
against us. Biblical knowledge is not enough. You have got to allow the Lord to transform or change your heart. You want a picture of a changed life, you don't always look at the person that can answer every biblical question or the person who shows up to every event, every church event. If you want to look at a changed life, look at a person who has humbly rearranged their life and their marriage and their parenting around what the Lord has taught. If you want a picture of a changed life, show me someone when no one is watching chooses God's way instead of the way of sinful pleasures when nobody's looking. You know what that you know what that represents is their character. Character matters. If you want a picture of a changed life, show me someone who manages their money and their resources the way God teaches. Somebody who hungers and thirsts after knowing God so that he will be translated into genuine love toward other people. That's a picture that takes a while to paint. You ask the question like my kids do on every trip, are we there yet? No. But we're going. We're in the car and we're on the road. Number three. I did it again. Uh, my problem is I'm hitting this little button with my finger under here and I lose, I lose control, you know. There's a sermon there. All right, recognize that your spiritual life is a journey. Set our sights on the final destination. Number three, ask God to help you with your roadblocks. I hate to ask this question, but I wonder what great thoughts you guys have had since we put our speed bumps up out there when y'all have hit those a couple times. Were they blessings? (laughs) We have done that to make safer our children on the playground. So we've tried to put up, I guess, so-called roadblocks. But roadblocks stop or slow down movement. You know, have you ever been on a trip? You go on vacation. You got your GPS all set. You're all ready to go. And you get about 100 miles down the road. And they have closed the road. And there's a big detour sign come up. Think about the thoughts that go through your mind. Think about you're thinking, man, I had this all right. I was going to show up at the right time. Now what are we going to do? And when you get off the road, when you get off the detour, that road they've put you on hasn't been updated in your GPS. And if you're anything like us, me and Elizabeth are pretty map challenged. Next thing you know, the detour is not our problem. We're in a knockdown drag out fight. Now, don't get me wrong. Me and Elizabeth love each other. She always says I make us look so bad. I hope I don't. We, we've, got a, we've got a great marriage. I love her. She's beautiful. Somebody told me this morning that I married way up. Amen. You're right. I did. I married way up. The Lord's really blessed me with her, but we are challenged when it comes to maps. That doesn't mean we don't have a great marriage. We do have a great marriage. Just keep us on the right road and let the GPS continue to work. And our marriage is fine. I know you can relate. I know you can. But now my problem's no longer the roadblock. Now me and her are in a fight. Do you see how quickly just one little turn messes us completely up because of the way we handle it? 
let me say this, the way I handle it. I'm wind up yelling at my kids, yelling at people driving by me, yelling at my wife, yelling at God. It affects my relationship with the Lord when I react wrong, even in something simple like just a car trip. Are y'all like me at all? Are some of your best fights on vacation? (laughs) Or just getting to vacation? Usually once you're there, everything kind of calms down. It does for us because my wife just loves no schedule, loves the beach. You know, she just hits her environment. We get away from all the uh, allergies, and I mean, the world works again. But getting there is, we're getting better at it. Tell you that, we're getting better at it. I'm getting better at it, aren't I? You know, well, I don't answer that. But you're going in your life. You've got plan A. You've got it all figured out. You've got your job. You've got your kids. You've got everything going. And then all of a sudden, a roadblock comes. You know, I had somebody come to me in between the two services. You know, our steps are ordered by God if we're following him. So sometimes the roadblocks, God's doing. He's just wanting to say, don't get too comfortable here. Let's see really how you are doing. Let's get off the road a little bit. You're not doing so good, are you? Remember me? God says, remember me? I'll take care of you. Even through the detour. I'm still with you. It doesn't have to be a step back. I'm still with you. But when you remove me from this process, it's going to get rough. You're going to get off the pavement, get onto the dirt until there's no more road. Now what are you going to do? I believe that these roadblocks that we have coming at us is is God drawing us back to him. We get so complacent being comfortable with where we are that sometimes we need a detour to wake up. We need a detour to wake up. Roadblocks are areas in our life that slow us down. They slam the brakes on change. I found that with many people's roadblocks that many times they're hidden and they're silent. But they're very, very real. And when you ask God to help you when you're going through these roadblocks, we usually go about three steps deeper than we normally do. Normally we identify it. I got a problem. This road has ended. We determine to take action. I'm going to have to do something. I can't just sit here. I can't go through the roadblock. I've got to turn. You know, it would be like a tarantula. If I'm standing up here on stage and I'm preaching and a tarantula starts walking up my leg, I think I would identify that. I have a problem. (laughs) And then I realize I have to do something about this. Some change has to take place. But as as a mature adult, I'm sure I'd probably scream. And then I'd kick it off onto the first row over there. If I kicked it onto this row, my problem didn't go away. It increased <laughs> because I still have to deal with that. I'm not, I'm not free. But the problem is, what does the tarantula do? It looks back at me and smiles and says, I'm still here and I'm coming back. Problems, the problems we face don't go away. They're still there. We still got to get through them. It says getting ahead of myself here let let me go back there we go some of us when we come to our roadblocks we pluck them away we deal with them and we think that we can take care of it in a day or in a week or in an hour 
just say, I don't deal with that anymore. I took care of it. I went to a seminar. I went and I, you know, I, whatever, you know, I dealt with it. You know, and this, this is a lot like me. I've realized that Elizabeth processes our roadblocks differently than I do. I think that on the surface, I look like I've gotten over them. But I usually am not very communica- communica- communicative. Um, I kind of hold back. She needs to talk, and I'm telling her I don't want to talk about it anymore. So what does that do? It just puts up another roadblock between me and her. No longer is the problem our problem. Now we've got a problem because she needs to talk about it, and I don't want to talk about it. So you're stuck. Marriage 101. She's not like you, and you're not like her. Now how are you going to live through that? You get that one, and you're going to have a good marriage. Put that together with, with the presence of God and, and rope that with, with the Word of God and uh, the Holy Spirit. Learn that you can't do it all. And I, I, she's got to have me to talk about it. And I'm like, God, I can't talk about it. I'm going to go crazy. I need to move on from it. But she needs to talk. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm 2 Corinthians chapter 7, let us peer ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence or awe for God. Look at this word, everything. Everything that contaminates. Everything that contaminates. Peer ourselves from, purify ourselves from everything that contaminates. What are the everythings that contaminate your character? Have you ever made a list of those? It's not a pretty list. In fact, it's pretty demoralizing. It's pretty hard when you start to kind of lay out what are my issues. Have you ever made a list like that? I encourage you to do it. One thing. Think of one thing, one roadblock that immediately comes to your mind that stunts your spiritual growth. Maybe it's pride, gluttony, lust, overspending, murmuring or gossiping. Anger, too controlling, stealing, having an affair. What is that roadblock in your life? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get past that roadblock? Well, before you answer it too quickly, think about it. This is going to sound funny, but wouldn't many of us kind of miss having a controlling factor over somebody? having that feeling of knowing that I can control certain situations. You know, we do it because of the way that it makes us feel. Manipulative people get rises out of being, being controlling. I mean, it's the truth. Wouldn't we miss that? Wouldn't some of us miss the adrenaline rush when our rage, when we rage and explode over other people? That may sound funny. But there is a rush that you get from it. Do you really want to get well? Ephesians 4, verse 22, says, Throw off your old evil nature and your former way of life, which is rotten through and through, full of lust and deception. Anytime I talk to people that are just battling addiction or battling things in their life, they'll say, It's killing me. I am rotten through and through. That's what this is saying. Your old evil nature, your former way of life is rotten. It's rotten. And if you're anything like me, you probably discover that the problem is so serious that there's no way in the world that you can get over it on your own. You got it. You hit the nail on the head. Finally, 
And you know what? It's taken a long process for the Lord to draw you back in. At that moment, you are ready to seek help. Many of us are going through things that we've said we've tried everything. We've read books. We've done everything that we know to do. Nothing works. Why? Because without Jesus, you do not have the power over sin. There is no other thing in this world that will get you through sin but Jesus Christ. You wonder why you can't get through it. It's because the thing that will battle it, you have removed from your life. You may be saved, but you're not walking it out. God wants to continue to work in you. Not worked. It didn't finish at, at, at salvation. That would have meant it, when I was five years old, I was finished. Isn't that a joke? I wasn't finished. I was just started. A new life was born, which meant I needed to grow. The problem is we get so entangled in these roadblocks that it's going to take a miracle to get out of them. That is the asking God part. The tarantula keeps coming back, and now I need a miracle. I've got to ask for supernatural intervention by the hand of the sovereign God to take that and remove it from my life because I can't do it on my own. Elizabeth and I deal with things as, as your pastor and pastor's wife of, of the church, whether it's children's ministry or whether it's relationship. Then we've got our children and we're at three different schools. We, we, we struggle and try to figure it all out our own. And then finally, we pray. And you know what? Somehow, we get through it. But many times, going to God to pray about it is the last thing we do. And I want to think that I'm a relatively spiritual person. I mean, I fall so short. But you're not alone. But will we give it to God? Will we give it to God? I can't remove it on my own. Many of us are going to go to the grave constantly parked at that roadblock unless you're willing to humble yourself and take the time to say, God, I can't do it. I've got to have you. You are my only hope. So you'd say, how do I do that? Just with a simple prayer. Let me just pray this right now. God, I'm ready to get past this roadblock that's causing so much damage to me and to other people in my life, and that is keeping me from being with you. God, I humbly ask you to remove this because I can't do it on my own. Church, all that does is position you to allow the Lord to work in your life. That's all I'm trying to do right here with this whole sermon on change is position yourself to let God help you because you can't get through it on your own. You were not intended to. You weren't created to get through it on your own. We are trying to go against the way we were created. Some of you are saying, that's too bad that you can't do it on your own. But I can. That's where we're different. Let me just encourage you, go for it. Keep trying on your own. I've been there. Try harder. Crank up that self-improvement program. Read more books. Go sit at the feet of some other guru that thinks they know it all. 
But I've read and studied this enough to know you can't do it on your own and you're not supposed to do it on your own. This change process is summarized in uh, Proverbs 28. It says, people who cover over their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. Do you want God's mercy for an area in your life that you can't control? Humble yourself and ask for it. Humble yourself and ask for it. Father, I thank you for this morning. And Lord, I ask you that the words that I'm saying, Lord, would be received right, that we would realize humbling ourselves is not a place, as the world would think, of weakness, but it's a place of power because it gets the King of kings and the Lord of lords involved in our life. Lord, it's a paradox. We think that when we're when we do these things that it's going to make us weak. Lord, it's not. It's going to strengthen us. I just ask you, Lord, to help us identify these roadblocks that we have and to seek your face on how to get through them. 